Pacifica Radio in San Francisco. This is Flashpoints. I'm Dennis Bernstein. Today on the show, an in-depth look at the deadly Texas school shooting, which appears to be turning into a wide-ranging and full-blown cover-up after dozens of cowardly cops dropped the ball and 19 kids and two teachers were slaughtered. All this coming up straight ahead on Flashpoints and more. Stay tuned. And you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Dennis Bernstein. This is your daily investigative news magazine. We broadcast every weekday from 5 to 6 Pacific time over the Pacifica Radio Network, KPFA here in the Bay Area. We are also broadcasting live over KPFK in Los Angeles. We are happy to have you along. We've got a lot on the show, but we're going back. I know there's a lot been said about what's going on in Washington. We believe in that, and we love the coverage Pacifica is doing. But we're not going to take our eyes off what happened in that slaughter in Texas, which is now uh, turned into like a blame game. Which group of cops is going to blame the other group? Uh, and it's troubling. But let me just read a little bit uh, of news that came, uh, this uh, version coming from the New York Times. Confirmation, if you will. Heavily armed officers delayed confronting a gunman in Uvalde, Texas, for more than an hour, even though supervisors at the scene had been told that some trapped with him in the elementary school classrooms needed medical treatment. A new review of video footage and other investigative materials show. Instead, the documents show they waited for protective equipment to lower the risk to law enforcement officers. The school district police chief, who was leading the response to the May 24th shooting, appeared to be agonizing over the length of time it was taking to secure the shields that would help protect officers when they entered and and when they entered. And also, uh, and I'm just going to stop reading there, uh, the thing said they're blaming it on a missing key. They didn't have a key to go into the classroom. I can't tell you how many stories I've covered uh, that have everything to do with police brutality and police raids. And I've never seen the cops have any problem getting into a car or breaking into a house. Uh, I'm thinking about the cops. Uh, how many of them? Ten, fifteen of them broke into the into the apartment of uh, of. Um, uh, uh, a Black Panther in Chicago and slaughtered him and his wife. No, they could break down doors. There's another problem here. There's another problem here. This is a major cover-up of a slaughter. It has everything to do with racism and police power. Joining us uh, to talk about this is a good friend of ours, Tony Diaz. He uh, is uh, really the founder, the creator of the Libro Traficante Caravan. Uh, he's a writer, teacher, activist. He does a lot of work. He's a human rights activist. Tony, I know, uh, and we're also joined, I should say, by my good friend and your good friend, Miguel Gabriel Molina, senior producer on this show. Tony, 
What we're seeing unfold here now, you know, we saw uh, two press conferences from the uh, uh, the state agency, the law enforcement agency, with two racist Texas Rangers standing behind them. White English only press conferences in a 90 percent brown and Latino Spanish speaking school. This goes on and on. No translator. You know, every every uh, speech like this, you see every report like this, you see. It's terrible. I think the extent of discrimination and racism doesn't fit into the corporate media model for reporting stories because the they want a quick synopsis of that moment and every single facet of this tragedy and the cover-up just reeks of years of historical discrimination uh, including recent gun laws that Greg Abbott, the, the right-wing Republican governor of Texas, has instituted all, all the way to the legacy of the Texas Rangers. And, you know, th- even while we, we can barely put our fingers on it, as you mentioned, there's been a privileging of English-based media, not Spanish-based. Um, and there's, it, it just goes on and on and on. And, and you know, I'm glad that you're, Staying on the story, because there's something else that happens after these ugly events, is that the story leaves the corporate media headlines, and I, it hurts me to say this, and I hope I'm proven wrong this time, but it doesn't fail. Three or four weeks after a mind-boggling tragedy like this, corporate media moves on. And our communities are left to pick up the pieces. And in this case, it, it's so horrific. I'm not sure how London's going to recover, but but you, you you touched on it. This story has to keep. We have to keep digging into it because not only is there a cover up, we have to uncover all the layers of discrimination, all the layers of policies and laws that are killing killing our community. It's terrible. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking uh, is one way to put it. Um, it. It really does seem to be like a, a blame-shifting situation at this point. We've had multiple descriptions. Uh, people are confused. But, uh, again, uh, the, the idea that for an hour and 10, 15, 20 minutes... Half these kids were still alive and they could have been saved. But you had dozens of cops. They were heavily armed, Tony. They were he- they, it, wa- it wasn't like they just had a cap gun. There were 20, 40 cops outside. And what were they doing tackling parents? It, it's unconscionable. And I guarantee you, if they were you know, uh, white, middle-class, English-dominant parents, they would not have been treated that way or, or, or maltreated is more is more um, accurate to, to begin with. Worse, you've got the, the, um, the police guy in charge right now who now is 
speaking up and saying that, well, he wasn't in charge, which just adds to the cover-up because now you've got paid, trained law enforcement officers, and you're telling me that after all that money, after all that training, you know, dozens of them on the ground with high-powered weapons, they can't tell who's in charge? That is ridiculous, incompetent, I'm, I'm going to guess illegal. And and again, if the community was not predominantly Mexican and Mexican-American, would paid officials get away with, again, I can't keep track of it all, uh, Dennis, um, the, the ugly way they spoke to parents who were concerned, using violence on the parents, the parents having to, on their own, they were willing to risk their lives for their children and, and go in into the lion's den. And, and they did. And they did. They did. And some of those kids are still alive because their parents uh, avoided the cops who were trying to tackle them and beat them and cuff them and went in and saved their own kids. It, it, Sorry, Tony. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, I, I'm really trying to hold it together because every part of this is enraging. And we're still, you know, we're still unpacking every single layer from, you know, um, who who is helping the parents. Because that wasn't help. That They weren't helping the children at that point. They weren't helping the kids. And now, and I want to add several other things to this because... This really is the culmination of so many terrible laws, which is how the right-wing Republicans who have maintained power right now are controlling the people. You know, you've done shows on how they're bamboozling and controlling the vote. Voter suppression is very real here in Texas, more so than in any other state. Additionally, um, this is the culmination of... Texas laws that have led to a proliferation of guns and this Wild West gun culture. But worse, you know, there's all these laws that denigrate brown people so that you can win the governorship if you say things like, I'm sending the National Guard to the border to protect people. I'm sorry, Governor Abbott has proven he is guilty of malpractice. He he lied about making people safer at the border and the same incompetence. You saw it on national TV. You saw it on national media, his incompetence when he, he lied about this. He was the first big liar, right? And then he was confronted at that press conference by Beto that called a little bit of attention, uh, 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 attention to what was going on. But he lied from the beginning. And then he blamed the, the person who briefed him. It, and and he doesn't point out then that these are the same people that have been briefing him for years. So they've been lying to him for years. These are laws that are built on slogans, built on discriminatory ideas. And he's been using these tactics to gain office. Everything, again, he's going to use codes to, brown, to, to criminalize brown people um, when he says, I'm sending the National Guard to the border. He's saying there are swarms of undocumented people coming and they're dangerous. That's what he's saying so that people can keep getting more weapons to think they're safe. 
the other thing I want to add as well, too, is that same incompetent voice is the one that most recently passed a law here in Texas where you, you don't need to get a license to buy a gun. You don't need classes. So if people might not be aware of this, but that same governor who was exposed as lying to the public about what went wrong at the massacre of Uvalde, he's the same governor who passed a law that basically takes all restrictions off of buying weapons in Texas and has led to this wild, wild west that he's created. Right now, the carnage is in everybody's face for a little bit. Again, you know, I don't want to go off track, but I think all these intersect because this is the culmination of years of racist laws, of vilifying brown people, and of making it easier to flood cities with guns. That's exactly and they are busy that. uniting. They're uniting. In Texas, you can see it very clearly where there's a uniting uh, of the extreme right in the context of anti-abortion, in the context text of voter suppression, uh, anti-immigrant policies. Uh, so you can you can you can see the the way in which these are synergizing and are going to you know this is clearly mm-hmm. going to get worse. I want to I want to read just one more paragraph from this Times article to be very clear. It goes on to say more than a dozen. Of the 33 children and three teachers originally in the two classrooms remained alive during the hour and 17 minutes from the time the shooting began inside the classrooms to when four officers made entry. Law enforcement investigators conclude by the time, by that time, Tony, by that time, Tony, 60 officers had already assembled 60 and the kids were inside calling 911 and bleeding to death it's it is shameful and when you quantify how much of a military force was out there you know there's some things that are not being talked about is that what's being exposed here is that there's this cowboy myth by right-wing Republicans and they believe that that the more you arm people, the safer you are. That has fallen apart because you, you mentioned five dozen trained armed to the teeth officers and the current officer who who is incompetent and I, I, I suspect it's broken the law somehow, perhaps. Um, he's now claiming he didn't know who was in charge. So can you imagine 60 guys armed to the teeth and not knowing who's in charge as mayhem is unleashed? And here's, here's the other part. Because of the proliferation of guns, we now have a situation where on an 18th birthday, Someone who wants to create havoc and massacres can now keep at bay five dozen trained police officers. And and again, right. you, you're telling me you want to arm teachers? If if you can't train these off career officers, if you cannot train them, 
to properly respond or to 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 address and take out of commission one 18-year-old untrained, unstable guy. You're telling me we're going to take teachers, add to the work that they already do, take them from humanizing the students, train them to then also adopt tactics where they're treating all students like possible perpetrators and and if trained individuals are not running into buildings well actually you had parents you had moms unarmed moms doing the work that those 60 guys couldn't do so uh, again as you mentioned these policies i i struggle to use the word policy because either either that's a sham or finally, this this approach of Texas is unraveling, and it's clear that politicians like right-wing Governor Greg Abbott is a sham, is incompetent, and he should be voted out of office because he is implementing these policies that are not saving any of us. And it's clear, right? You see, you, everyone has seen it all now. I... I I don't want to treat this like a court case because there's no logic in there at all. And the longer these officials, it, it appears to me, again, uh, Dennis, do I, do I, need, I don't want to go down all the list of all the massacres that have occurred in Texas on Greg Abbott's watch. I, I'll just mention the El Paso massacre, but that's not even being brought up by the same governor. And it's, amazing. it's not being addressed. And what's going to happen is they're stalling for time. And again, it really hurts me to say this, but I have to say this out loud. It appears that no matter what the damage is, after three or four weeks, corporate media leaves the issue. And then these right-wing politicians go back to business as usual. And their business is to use cliches, stereotypes, and racism to keep their power. And I'm afraid that we're at the turning point when you've got when you've got this chief that bungled everything who has the audacity to start defending his his, his tactics he should he should if he had any if he had any soul he should renounce right now i, I if he had any class if he had a heart if he had any humanity he should quit on his own right now he should not be making up more lies, piling up more discriminatory policies to try and justify the slaughter that happened on his watch, to his neighbors, on his duty. And just to be clear, Tony, I'm not talking hyperbole when I say this is an active, expanding cover-up. It is is very clear uh, that... Um, they're taking all kinds of actions uh, to make sure the information flow is limited. So even though we heard of sort of a limited uh, investigation uh, coming out of the governor's office uh, from the state center, Senate and Assembly, uh, but, the, the you know, they are excluding the local politicians, some of the most outspoken uh, politicians who should be a part of these investigations, and they're actively excluding them, aren't they? So they don't, they, you know, why would they do that? 
the, the, the representatives, the state representatives from that area, they're going to have an investigation, but they're not going to include that? Why would that be? Well, you mentioned it at the top when you, you pointed out that at this press conference. So, again, there you have Greg Abbott running to control the story, not vetting the sources, not realizing that he's about to get misinformed, misled by the same people that he's been listening to throughout his entire tenure as governor. And he's going there. The stage is a, a powerful stage of all white leaders. And as you mentioned, Beto O'Rourke wanted to, 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 to put a stop to that. And you're going to notice a few things. One, Greg Abbott didn't want to answer any questions that he was not asked. I shouldn't laugh, but I'm like, the audacity is the nerve of it. So, again, he's going after freedom of, of the press. He's like, he wanted to just impose his questions, which, again, are his lies. And... And if I want to be generous, his incorrect assessment. So he doesn't want to poke holes in his incorrect assessments. Additionally, if you recall, he had all of his police uh, allies up there. And they were shouting down Beto. And if you recall, the Anglo mayor of Uvalde said to Beto O'Rourke that you are disgusting for doing this. And for interrupting the governor. And here's what I haven't really had a chance to to put my finger on. At that moment, that made me so uneasy because here you had this mayor of the city that suffered that tragedy. And again, I want to be generous to him because he is the leader of a city that just suffered that terrible tragedy. But he's fallen right into the narrative that Abbott wants. He's keeping the people in the dark, and that's symbolic. All the brown people, the Spanish-speaking people were literally in the dark. Secondly, he's starting to say personal attacks to Beto O'Rourke, who is actually making some important points, and you had all the police officers escort, escort the lone voice that wanted to speak up outside by force to just let him speak his narrative. So the stage literally was set at that moment for the Texas right-wing Republican approach to leading a cover-up under our very eyes. And, and Dennis, it was finally the voices of the children, the 991 calls, the moms that said, I was there, this is really what happened. It was those voices that were not at the press conference that had their say and that debunked all the lies that Governor Abbott was either simply fed, that he cultivated, that he repeated. And, and, and we haven't even gotten to which officials are getting the story. But, but worse, worse, Dennis, I really think that if there were a profound need, if there were a profound desire to address this, deep connection should be made to the slaughter in El Paso where a racist supremacist went and he had his, his, his manifesto of racism and was killing and looking for Mexicans to kill. Uh, there should be... He drove five hours and more to, to kill Mexicans. He so took a long... Some, yeah. Mm-hmm, there should be direct parallels between those two. And additionally, if Greg Abbott 
really wanted to get to the bottom of this or make changes, he should fire all the police officers involved with this. And additionally, he has the power to call a special session to get laws in order. And let's get something straight. I want all America to know that here in Texas, uh, you know, right-wing Republican Governor Greg Abbott has a majority of Republicans in the Texas legislature. The Texas Senate is dominated by Republicans. The Texas House of Representatives is dominated by Republicans. He can literally pass any law he wants. That's why he's passing these anti-CRT laws. So he's more interested in banning books than banning assault rifles because if he sincerely wasn't trying to push a cover-up or play this disgusting game of strangle long and wait it out, he, Monday morning, he could call a special session and he could give the order to pass smart gun law, gun law restrictions right now. But he yes, doesn't he want to could. do that. Yes, he could. That's Tony Diaz. He's a writer, activist, professor. His new book is The Tip of the Pyramid, Cultivating Community, Cultural Capital. Uh, he's talking to us from Texas. We're talking about the expanding cover-up. And I, I want to bring our good friend Miguel Gavilan Molina into this, but just to make the point... My respect for Beto O'Rourke grew tremendously when he took that action to disrupt because the system can't allow, you know, it reminds me of the beginning of the free speech movement. You've got to throw something into the gears to stop this, to call attention. And he understood when he did that, and he was in progress interrupting the big lie. He understood that journalism... And where he was was the first cut of history. How would it be recorded? As a big lie or would somebody have a chance to tell the truth? Apparently, uh, Beto O'Rourke got close to shutting the governor down, uh, but the governor had a chance to get out the big lie and then he had to lie about the lie. Anyway, you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. Also joining us is Miguel Gabriel Molina, who's a senior producer on this show. Miguel? Well, you know, it, it's troubling because, uh, Tony, you hit the nail on the head when, when you brought up the issue that the governor there, Governor Abbott, has lifted restrictions. There were, you know, uh, half a dozen years ago, there were laws, there were restrictions on guns and purchasing and so forth. But he passed legislation and lifted those restrictions. And, and like you mentioned, making it to a point to where you don't even need a driver's license. You know, you just need to be 18 years old and you can buy an assault weapon. Well, that was one thing that, that has, like you said, has made it into the wild, wild west. But the other thing, at the same time, he took, I believe, something like $200 million that was earmarked in Texas for mental health care and, and related, you know, services and programs. He, he ended those. So here we have a situation, not just in Texas, but throughout the country, where there's, you know, there is a health epidemic that is being caused by gun violence. And and I, I think in some communities, people need to start looking at it that not only do we want the safety of our children, but also the health to, you know, protect their health. And, and protecting them against gun violence is one thing because it's getting to a place to where gun violence is becoming like a disease. It's spreading everywhere. There is no place that is no longer sacred. You know, this used to be called the country of the free. Well, now it's the country of the fear. Uh, 
and and it used to be the country of the strong and the brave. Well, now it's the scared and the running. You know, all that is evaporated by the by the constant every week, every other week we hear of some violence. And and it was just a report released that as of yesterday, I believe what two hundred and forty eight mass. Shootings have happened in this country since the beginning of 2022, this year, January. That's insane. Nowhere else on earth are we finding these things other than here. And, and there's, a, you know, we have a population of, what, 333 million, I believe. Well, there's over 400 million weapons. And the majority of those weapons are assault weapons. That needs to stop. There needs to be a national reform. And I don't know, Tony, if they're in Texas or elsewhere, but I really feel that people need to start dealing with, you know, maybe on a local level, you know, the township, the local municipality, you know, maybe they need to start passing laws and saying, hey, in this town, no longer we do not allow the sales of assault weapons. Maybe each little town and, and cities and then districts and then counties, you know, they need to take it to the Board of Supervisors because the top officials, the national leaders, the state leaders, they're not doing much. They're just a lot of condolences and mourning and we feel sorry and great speeches, but no action. And the action is banning assault weapons, raiding the public from military-grade weaponry, and stop selling weapons to 18-year-olds that are angry and out of control. So, uh, you know, something needs to happen. And the racism, well, in Texas, like in the Southwest and other areas, in, in both brown, black, and indigenous and, and, and Asian communities, racism is running rampant. But that's because racism is... It's part of the GOP. It's baked into the Republican consciousness. It came from that. So we're facing this situation today. You know, we're facing racism. We're facing bigotry. You know, and 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 this country's. You know, there's a lot of elections happening right now. These are the the primaries leading up to the national uh, midterm elections in November. And you're right, Tony. You know, at some place, people need to start organizing and realizing that some of our elections elected officials, they're not doing anything. They're not going to do anything unless we recall them or remove them. And and uh, again, I mean, how much longer is this going to go on? And and the cover-up, it is nothing new, as you kept saying, Tony. It's part of the that ingrained uh, Texas Ranger mentality. It's not just in Texas. It's everywhere. You know, when the Confederacy took over Washington, D.C. on January the 6th, it was incre- insane. I, I said amongst my colleagues, because right now you have the uh, the hearings starting to happen, you know, over the January 6th incident. And everybody knows. We all know. We all saw it. And we've said amongst ourselves, if it had been a brown, you know, mass of people, brown and black, storming the Capitol, there would have been hundreds, hundreds shot to death. We would never made it up to the stairs. But these were mostly white men. And some of them, you know, had tactical gear. For all we know, you know, there were caches of guns that were later retrieved. I mean, they, they and, and what is happening? We're getting a show on television. And, and television is approaching it like entertainment, you know, sens- sens- centralizing, you know, the news. But here we are. 
at a tragedy in Texas, what is going to happen? When is the Biden administration going to come in with the Department of Justice, the FBI, and demand all those officers to be removed, to be suspended until there is an internal investigation on what went wrong? Don't you agree, Tony? I think you're making a great point there, Miguel. At at the end of the day, if this had been uh, a a white, middle-class, English-dominant neighborhood, would the official who screwed up so, I mean, so clearly, would he still have a job? That that is that is mind blowing. And and you know, here, here's what here's what we need. I'm glad we've got Texas and Califas talking right now because we need each other. I mean, again, you mentioned Texas and its its treatment of our community, this is decades of voter suppression. And the folks here are going to need help organizing, not because we're not good at organizing, but they, we've been bamboozled. And you've seen how we get bamboozled. You're, you're watching some of these examples. But we're going to need support from California and other states to keep people focused on these issues and to keep on it because, you know, I, I'm worried. I'm worried that any moment they're going to stop um, stop talking about these issues on, on corporate media, and it'll blow over. And that's so ugly to say. But this is the same state where there was slaughter. There was a slaughter in Odessa. There was a slaughter in El Paso. Um, it's not that the people don't care. People are intimidated. People are separated. People have uh, suppressed. So it is going to take people staying on this issue at the local level from now to November to next November and voting people out, like like you said, level by level by level. Um, and when, when they start getting voted out of office is when they're going to start passing laws that will protect our communities. Uh, yes. And yes. Protecting other communities. Because those guns are spreading. Listen, okay, listen, Tony, we've got to keep this dialogue going. I'm, what I want to do now, uh, and again, uh, it's incredible to have you on the air with Miguel Gabriela Molino, who have lived, you, you both have lived this at so many different levels, and it's always an honor to be with you. What, what I want to do now is uh, play two of the testimonies uh, of those who recently uh, appeared before Congress. I want to uh, start we're going to play and these are so moving but i i just want to make sure we keep uh the memory of what happened front and center it's incredibly important i don't want it erased so we're going to play for you uh now two um testimonies in a row we're going to hear the doctor uh the only pediatrician uh, uh, in this particular school district area, knew all the kids. Uh, and then we're going to uh, play uh, the testimony from the parents of one of the children um, who was so shredded uh, that they had to identify her by a, a little drawing on her sneaker toe. Anyway, let's uh, thank you, Tony. Thanks, Miguel. Let's listen to this. My name is Dr. Roy Guerrero. I'm a board-certified pediatrician and was president at Uvalde Memorial Hospital. 
the day of the massacre on May 24th, 2022 at Robb Elementary School. I was called here today as a witness, but I showed up because I am a doctor. Because how many years ago I swore an oath, an oath to do no harm. After witnessing firsthand the carnage in my hometown of Uvalde, to stay silent would have betrayed that oath. Inaction is harm. Passivity is harm. Delay is harm. So here I am, not to plead, not to beg or convince you of anything, but to do my job and hope that by doing so, it inspires the members of this house to do theirs. I've lived in Uvalde my whole life. In fact, I attended Robb Elementary School myself as a kid. As often is the case with us grown-ups, we remember a lot of the good and not so much of the bad. So I don't recall homework or detention. I remember how much I loved going to school. What a joyful time it was. Back then, we were able to run between classrooms with ease to visit our friends. And I remember the way the cafeteria smelled at lunchtime on hamburger Thursdays. It was right around lunchtime on a Tuesday that the gunman entered the school through a main door without restriction, massacred 19 students and two teachers, and changed the way that every student at Rob and their families will remember that school forever. I doubt they'll remember the smell of the cafeteria or the laughter ringing in the hallways. Instead, they'll be haunted by the memory of screams and bloodshed, panic and chaos, police shouting, parents wailing. I know I will never forget what I saw that day. For me, that day started like any typical Tuesday in our pediatric clinic. Moms calling for coughs, boogers, sports physicals, right before the summer rush. School was out in two days. Then summer camps would guarantee some grazes and ankle sprains, injuries that could be patched up and, and fixed with a Mickey Mouse sticker as a reward. Then at 12.30, business as usual stopped, and with it, my heart. A colleague from the San Antonio Trauma Center texted me and said, why are pediatric surgeons and anesthesiologists on call for a mass shooting in Uvalde? I raced to the hospital to find parents outside yelling children's names in desperation and sobbing as they begged for any news related to their child. Those mother's cries I will never get out of my head. As I entered the chaos of the ER, I, the first casualty I came across was Mia Cerrillo. She was sitting in the hallway. Her face was still, still clearly in shock, but her whole body was shaking from the adrenaline coursing through it. The white Lilo and Stitch shirt that she wore was covered in blood, and her shoulder was bleeding from a shrapnel injury. Sweet Mia, I've known her my whole life. As a baby, she survived major liver surgeries against all odds. And once again, she's here as a survivor, inspiring us with her, with her story today and her bravery. When I saw Mia sitting there, I remembered having seen her parents outside. So after quickly examining two other patients of mine in the hallway with minor injuries, I raced outside to let them know that Mia was alive. I wasn't ready for their next urgent and desperate question. Where's Elena? Elena is Mia's eight-year-old sister, who was also at Rob at the time of the shooting. I had heard from some of the nurses that there were two dead children who had been moved to the surgical area of the hospital. As I made my way there, I prayed that I wouldn't find her. I didn't find Elena. But what I did find was something no prayer will ever relieve. Two children whose bodies had been pulverized by bullets fired at them, decapitated, whose flesh had been ripped apart, that the only clue at their identities was a blood-splattered cartoon clothes still clinging to them, clinging for life and finding none. I could only hope these two bodies were a tragic exception to the list of survivors. But as I waited there with my fellow Uvalde doctors, nurses, first responders, and hospital staff for other casualties we hoped to save, they never arrived. 
All that remained was the bodies of 17 more children and the two teachers who cared for them, who dedicated their careers to nurturing and respecting the awesome potential of every single one, just as we doctors do. I'll tell you why I became a pediatrician, because I knew that children were the best patients. They accept the situation as it's explained to them. You don't have to coax them into changing their lifestyles in order to get better or plead them to modify their behavior as you do with adults. No matter how hard you try to help an adult, their path to healing is always determined by how willing they are to take action. Adults are stubborn. We're resistant to change even when the change will make things better for ourselves, but especially when we think we're immune to the fallout. Why else would there have been such little progress made in Congress to stop gun violence? Innocent children all over the country today are dead because laws and policy allows people to buy weapons before they're legally old enough to even buy a pack of beer. They're dead because restrictions have been allowed to lapse. They're dead because there are no rules about where guns are kept because no one is paying attention to who is buying them. The thing I can't figure out is whether our politicians are failing us out of stubbornness, passivity, or both. I said before that as grown-ups, we have a convenient habit of remembering the good and forgetting the bad. Never more so than when it comes to our guns. Once the blood is rinsed away from the bodies of our loved ones and scrubbed off the floors of the schools and supermarkets and churches, the carnage from each scene is erased from our collective conscience and we return again to nostalgia. To the rose into the view of our Second Amendment as a perfect instrument of American life, no matter how many lives are lost. I chose to be a pediatrician. I chose to take care of children. Keeping them safe from preventable diseases, I can do. Keeping them safe from bacterial and brittle bones, I can do. But making sure our children are safe from guns, that's the job of our politicians and leaders. In this case, you are the doctors, and our country is the patient. We are lying on the operating table, riddled with bullets like the children of Robb Elementary and so many other schools. We are bleeding out and you are not there. My oath as a doctor means that I signed up to save lives. I do my job. And I guess it turns out that I am here to plead, to beg, to please, please do yours. Thanks for watching our YouTube channel. I am Kimberly Rubio. This is Felix Rubio. We're the parents of Alexandria Anaya, best known as Lexi Rubio, and five other children who all attended Uvalde Public Schools during the 2021-2022 school year. Calissa, who completed high school this year. Isaiah, who attends Uvalde High School. David Morales Junior High. Jalila Flores Elementary. Who made and our two youngest children, Julian 8 and Lexi 10, these who were at Robin Elementary. Matter. On the morning of May 24th, my, uh, 2022, I, I dropped Lexi and Julian off at school. Quite like Miller, we spent most of a little after 7 a.m. My husband and I returned to the campus at 8 a.m. for Julian's award ceremony, memories. and again at 10:30 a.m. for Lexi's award ceremony. Of the anger and the confusion and sadness, Lexi received the Good Citizen Award and was also recognized for receiving all A's. At the conclusion of the ceremony, we took photos with her before asking her to pose for a picture with her teacher, Mr. Reyes. That photo, her last photo ever, was taken at approximately 10.54 a.m. To celebrate, we promised to get her ice cream that evening. We told her we loved her and we would pick her up after school. I can still see her walking with us toward the exit.
In the reel that keeps scrolling across my memories, she turns her head and smiles back at us to acknowledge my promise. And then we left. I left my daughter at that school and that decision will haunt me for the rest of my life. Afterward, Felix dropped me off at my office, the Uvalde Leader News, and returned home because it was a rare day off for him between normal shifts and security gigs he takes to help make ends meet. I got situated at my desk and began writing about a new business in town when the news office started hearing commotion on the police scanner, a shooting on Diaz Street near Robb Elementary. It wasn't long before we received word from my son's teacher that they were safe, secure in the classroom. Once evacuated from campus, the children were reunited with parents and guardians at the Civic Center. My dad picked up Julian from the Civic Center and took him to my grandmother's house. One of our Rob kids was safe. We focused on finding Lexi. Bus after bus arrived, but she wasn't on board. We heard there were children at the local hospital, so we drove over to provide her description. She wasn't there. My dad drove an hour and a half to San Antonio to check with the university hospital. At this point, some part of me must have realized that she was gone. In the midst of chaos, I had the urge to return to Rob. We didn't have our car at this point, and traffic was everywhere. So I ran, I ran barefoot with my flimsy sandals in my hand. I ran a mile to the school, my husband with me. We sat outside for a while before it became clear we wouldn't receive an answer from law enforcement on scene. San Antonio firefighter eventually gave us a ride back to the Civic Center where the district was asking all families who had not been reunited with their children to gather. Soon after we received the news that our daughter was among the 19 students and two teachers that died as a result of gun violence. We don't want you to think of Lexi as just a number. She was intelligent, compassionate, and athletic. She was quiet, shy, unless she had a point to make. But she knew she was right. She so often was. She stood her ground. She was firm, direct, voice unwavering. So today, we stand for Lexi, and as her voice, we demand action. We seek a ban on assault rifles and high-capacity magazines. We understand that for some reason, to some people, to people with money, to people who fund political campaigns, that guns are more important than children. So at this moment, we ask for progress. We seek to raise the age to purchase these weapons from 18 to 21 years of age. We seek red flag laws, stronger background checks. We also want to repeal gun manufacturers' liability immunity. We've all seen glimpses of who Lexi was, but I also want to tell you a little bit about who she would have been. If given the opportunity, Lexi would have made a positive change in this world. She wanted to attend St. Mary's University in San Antonio, Texas on a softball scholarship. She wanted to major in math and go on to attend law school. That opportunity was taken from her. She was taken from us. 
I'm a reporter, a student, a mom, a runner. I've read to my children since they were in the womb. My husband is a law enforcement officer, an Iraq war veteran. He loves fishing and our babies. Somewhere out there, there's a mom listening to our testimony, thinking I can't even imagine their pain, not knowing that our reality will one day be hers, unless we act now. Thank you for your time. to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Dennis Bernstein, and uh, we are happy to welcome back to these airwaves Randy Critico. Uh, Randy Critico really has been on the leading edge, leading uh, uh, many people to um, the idea that it's time to free Julian Assange. Uh, where are we, uh, my good friend? Uh, things are not looking good for Mr. Assange, Randy Critico. Give us uh, an update. Where exactly is the situation now? Uh, not many people in this country are watching what's going on there, but it could get ugly really fast. Well, thank you, Dennis, for having me on, uh, and thank you for the uh, five years that you've been at least, uh, you know, five years. Uh, you and I were, were doing this on this date. Five years ago, we were interviewing uh, Christine Assange, and a month later, Julian Assange, uh, you know, five years ago, and um, thinking that uh, that was going to be the end of it. That was going to be the, yeah. uh, like, he was going to get out soon. Uh, and, um, you know, the Biden administration uh, decided to uh, prosecute him and take over the Trump charges and appeal, uh, you know, the... Uh, the earlier magistrate's decision not to extradite him and the, the Biden administration looking to lose more progressives uh, in 2022 and then 2024 decided to prosecute someone and use the Espionage Act. That be, I don't know what that is. It sounds like a popcorn machine in the background. Um, so, um, you know, where is it right now? Uh, 
you know, we're, we're fighting against the guy who's, uh, you know, um, plunging us into a possible nuclear conflict uh, at the behest of the, the people in the military, uh, business, arms, merchants. Uh, and he's going after someone that would expose all of that, someone that we'd, we'd know more about Zelensky. We'd know about uh, what was going on. In, two, in fact, he did. Uh, you know, we talked about it on the show that you and I did with him in 2017, talked about Ukraine, 2014, uh, uh, the the coup that took place. And uh, uh, with so much clarity uh, and so much knowledge of of the situation. So, you know, they don't want this guy operating, A, and B, they're pissed at him because of what he exposed, which were war crimes, war crimes committed by the U.S. and the people that committed those crimes on that video are still at large. They're still at large. There's been no attempt to, to uh, you know, prosecute these guys by any administration. They murdered journalists and they murdered a bunch of unarmed civilians. That was just one of many incidents of, uh, you know, uh, crimes against humanity. So where he is right and, now. And let me, let me that, just tell Randy, let me just for people who are new to the story uh, that you can Google collateral murder. And again, we're not talking about hyperbole. You can see U.S. forces murdering a family and a co- or I think it's a couple of journalists, right? Collateral yeah, murder. And because this is what Julian Assange made big enemies in the United States government because it is a war crime. Absolutely. Sorry, it's Randy. a war crime, but it, war crime, crimes against humanity and the torture that was going on. Uh, and, and, you know, everything that the U.S. Done, has done in Afghanistan, the Libya uh, and, and Honduras, I mean, stuff that he exposed in the, all of the uh, State Department cables. You and I were talking about last week about all of these diplomats and all these embassies around the world. Eighty percent of them. Uh, of them that are there are there to sell arms. You know what I mean? So uh, they don't want this to be exposed as people are paying $8 a gallon for gas in California, $7 a gallon uh, here. Uh, They don't want uh, that to be exposed to to people that are upset about the economy. They just spent $40 billion to, including AOC, to throw into the the nightmare in in Ukraine. Uh, They don't want people to know what we do, and so uh, and Julian Assange is uh, as bad as it's going to look when he gets here. If we can, um, you know, revisit the, the media of what he's being accused of, which is exposing, and he's an Australian journalist. Well, we know all of that. The thing is, is that we are at a very bad point right now. The, he's exhausted his uh, his uh, direct appeals to the Supreme Court, uh, and of course they're all on the take. They're all under pressure from the uh, from the uh, MI5, MI6, uh, you know, uh, from uh, GCHQ uh, to uh, get this guy uh, out of there and get him into the U.S. and put him in a supermax. And uh, and so it's in the hands now of the Home Secretary, Pretty Patel. And uh, she's uh, going to go along with the pre-written script. You know, he went through this legal process, the so-called legal process. It was a complete 
joke. It was worse than any show trial that you see around the world, including show trials here and show trials, and uh, whether they be uh, the old Soviet Union or anywhere. Uh, I mean, there's show trials in every country, uh, and um, and so uh, she's going to sign the uh, papers. Most likely, I can't see why she wouldn't. Everyone else. Uh, that's a uh, cog uh, in the uh, you know the national security state of uh, of our colony, Great Britain, has got along with it. And so when she signs it, there's limited uh, options at that point. And he could be whisked away in the middle of the night and say there was a technical error and uh, error, and he will end up in in a black box there in Alexandria, Virginia, and the CIA will go in there and, and uh, you know, uh, you know, jostle him around and the, the NSA. And once he's in their hands, forget about it. He's not coming out. So uh, that's it. Once he's there, you know, he's, I mean, take a look. Uh, is Leonard Peltier after 40, we know his trial was a joke. 47 years is still in prison. Mumia, 30 years still in prison. Uh, he's going to have to go through this long uh, tedious, uh, you know, uh, uh, legal process. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, he'll be, he's, if look at him right now, he's not healthy. They have beaten no. and battered him and tortured him uh, mentally and physically uh, for all of these years, these three years in the dungeon. This is the Tower of London on a ground floor is what it is. And uh, so all I can say is we got to keep trying just like we're in Spain, the Abraham Lincoln Brigade, because this, it has such huge consequences. What does keep trying at this point mean? What, what, what's the least waste of time, Randy? What do you recommend? Uh, you know what? I've been trying to figure out how much time I've probably wasted. I don't know what the answer is. We've done, you and I have done 40 shows together on this over the five years. I mean, I mean there's like 200 of these Assange countdowns. I mean, we've inspired a, a lot of people who've gotten involved. How do we get more people involved? I don't know, but it's going to take, this is, they, they have totally um, smeared him, vilified him, and you got people here that think that, uh, you know, he's a bad guy, and he's the most gentle individual, the most intellectual, the most oh, articulate no. person. It's and amazing. Listen, Randy, is, we're, we're out of time, so give us yes. give us a website or tell tell people, right. you know, because we're out of time, so if they want more All information, right, uh, they want to get involved, right. whatever. I say go to, uh, my website is AssangeCountdownToFreedom.com Assange, just the whole thing spelled out, no numbers, and Assange Countdown to Freedom dot com uh, is one where one place to go. You can go to Assange Defense. Uh, I know uh, Jeff Mackley is uh, involved in that, and uh, and uh, so some others on the east. The West Coast is doing okay. really good work. Okay, okay. we got to Randy Critical, thank you, Randy. Thank you, Dennis. We're out of here. You're so welcome. Thanks for the great work. That's it for us. That wraps it up for another episode of Flashpoints. Our executive producer is Dennis Bernstein. Senior producers are Miguel Gavilan Molina and Kevin Pina. Technical director is Mike Biggs. Special thanks to producer and engineer Rada Keel. For previous episodes, go to kpfa.org or flashpoints.net. For questions or comments, email dennis at kpfa.org. Thank you for listening.